hey, tell you, tell you what we're doing. We're in the book of Daniel. We're in the book of Daniel. And so, surprise, surprise, I know you, know you know that. But what we're talking about is how Daniel lived and how Daniel thrived in a, in a culture that was absolutely out of control, crazy, and chaos. So we talked last week about how Daniel took a stand, Daniel purposed in his heart. And what we're going to talk about this week are the rewards of taking a stand. The rewards of taking a stand. We're going to look at three specific rewards, uh, blessings that Daniel experienced because he took a stand. And so uh, we're going to talk about every week a challenge. So we're going to give you a challenge today. I'm going to give you for, the, for 20 weeks while we're going through Daniel. We're going to challenge you every week. Unapologetically, hold nothing back. We're going to, I'm going to challenge you. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to dare you how you think, how you act, how you live. 20 challenging messages with 20 challenging dares there. So every single week you come here, you're going to be challenged to, to experience your Christian life at a new level based on a dare, based on Daniel's life that week. And so Daniel, being a man of God, he stood out among the rest. Uh, God, he honored God, but he was an influencer rather than being influenced. And so there's a dares here to be like Daniel, to rise up, to be counted, to be different. Last week, the dare was to be distinct. And there's going to be a question of the week, which this week is this. Is there any place in your life where you're unclear and where you need to take a stand? Is there any place in your life where you are unclear about and you need to take a a stand. So I'm going to challenge you on that. We're going to read the scriptures. Uh, we're a Bible teaching church. We teach through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So that's what we're doing now. We're going to read the Bible, explain the Bible, apply the Bible, but first we're going to read it. So if you'd please stand to your feet if you're able. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. I will read the even verses if you could read the odd verses and read loud so we can fill God's house with God's word. But Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided by the others. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we're here and thank you for everybody watching online. Uh, we just want to say that there is no one like you in all the earth. You are our God and there is no other. We thank you, Lord, for meeting us here as you do time and time again. We declare that you are an awesome God. We worship and adore you and exalt you, and you are high and lifted up in this place. Lord, thank you for this morning, for our worship, our, our heartfelt thanksgiving to you. And we come this day to cast our cares upon you. We ask as we turn to your word that you would speak to us through the pages of uh, this ancient God-breathed text with all of its timeless truth. Lord, I pray that as we work our way through these challenges, that uh, week by week, that you would transform us and that you would speak to us and renew our minds and, uh, and cause us to live daringly and distinctly for you. Pray especially, Lord, for the, the students and teenagers and young adults that you would get a hold of, that they would get a hold of this message and this message would get a hold of them, that you would have your way in us, uh, that you would speak to our hearts 
that you would have your free reign here, that you would reclaim us today as your people, and that thank you for inclining your ear unto our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone agreed by saying, Amen. So the setting, the context here, the background, it's always important to know that, that uh, the context of the passage. So if you weren't here last week, I want to review that. Well, Daniel is a young teenager, about 15, 16 years old. He's facing a crisis, a major crisis. As a teenager, he's been dragged into Babylon, about 800-mile journey there into Babylonian captivity. He's been absolutely ripped away from everything that he knows from his family there in Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the powerful, mighty Babylonian army. So everything that has changed overnight, instantaneously, when Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem, the southern part of Israel, for about 20 years. They were taken captive. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken captive then with tens of thousands of other Jews who then were in Babylon. So they were among the first captives there that uh, arrived in Babylon, which they're their plan there was unlike the Assyrians, which were absolutely brutal uh, people. They would skin people alive, make their lamps out of that, and hang their skins on the wall. This was just, it was so brutal. Babylon was the opposite. They would seduce you. You'd be, have an 800-mile journey, and then you'd see this, uh, one of the uh, uh, great wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon, and you'd just be absolutely seduced and taken in by, by what they did. And so... Uh, so, anyway, so Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were there. And why were they there? Because they were the highest capacity, the, the highest IQ, the summa cum laude, the Phi Beta Kappa, the, the elite of the elite, the cream of the crop, the best of the best. And so they then were under the tutelage of the University of Babylon there for three years to learn all about Babylonian culture, but not just to learn Babylonian culture, to then be brainwashed, essentially a systematic brainwashing under this operation assimilation. And so what they, were, they did then is they wanted to re-educate them, essentially to isolate them and then to indoctrinate them uh, into the culture there. And so the same assimilation agenda we talked about last week, which exists in our culture today, nothing has changed whatsoever. Maybe little tweaks, a little more systematic sophisticated today, but it's all the same. So, which was aimed at separating them, the people, young people especially today, isolating them so that then they could become absorbed into the new culture, the new values, the new mindset, the new language, the new false gods, and ultimately then to cause them to identify and to think and to act like Babylonians. So again, 25 centuries later, nothing has changed whatsoever. The world still attempts to separate us from our spiritual roots and our heritage, to isolate us, to indoctrinate us, to try to re-educate us. So we need to understand that Babylon in Scripture is not only a physical place, but Babylon is also a pattern. By that, a pattern is a way of thinking. Babylon wants you to live in the world, but also to be of the world, for the world. And so the spirit of Babylon is the spirit of our age. So Babylon wants to snatch you away, just like it did then, to snatch your heart and to pull you away from your relationship with Christ, 
the pattern of Babylon, just like then, nothing has changed, is to indoctrinate you, to brainwash you, to try to remake you. So Daniel then refused to be molded, refused to be shaped by his new culture. Uh, We talked about last week how we need to do the same thing. So he stayed in Babylon for the rest of his life for about 70 years. So he would never bend. He would never conform. He would never give in. He would draw a line. And though Daniel's body was in Babylon, Babylon never got into Daniel. So Daniel then, he stands out to us as this timeless example for us to draw from and take inspiration from. Ultimately, uh, we're not here, we're not, you know, Danielites. We are Christ followers, and he is the one that we follow, but he is an illustration. And the Bible says in Romans that these things have been written for us, for our encouragement and hope. So the question today is this, is will you take a stand? How many people, they either take a soft stand, which is really not taking a stand, a partial stand, but how many people will take a biblical stand uh, the way that Daniel did here? And that's what I want to talk to you about. So if you're going to look at the screen with me here, here's what you need to know. This is critical. (coughs) This is critical, and this is pivotal to understanding the passage here. Verse 8, if everyone could look up the screen with me. But Daniel resolved then not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, you can read that, and if you're familiar with Daniel, you probably read that perhaps many times. And so, but what I want us to, re- what I want us to understand here is this is, an, this is a defining moment. And you think, well, what, like, what's so defining about that, not eating some unacceptable foods? Let me explain here. Uh, because what Daniel decides in this moment will echo in his life for the next six decades. What he decides in this moment here, another translation reads that Daniel made up his mind and everything would flow from this. So this is a key passage that Daniel resolved. In private, he did this here before the public moment ever showed up here. He'd resolved, he'd, he'd, he purposed in his heart here, as the King James says. So what we're talking about here, it's a defining moment that is a predetermined decision that then would impact the entire trajectory of his life. And so we must make up our minds in advance to do what Daniel did, because sometimes what you don't realize is things that are small, behind the scenes, seemingly insignificant moments could just be a defining moment like Daniel experienced here. What's important here is that Daniel drew the line in the sand and he said this, this far and no further, at the risk of his life and putting the risk of his um, direct report, uh, Aspenes, risk of his being beheaded here. And so here's my question to you. Where is God asking you to draw a line in the sand? Where is it in your life that you've not, but God is asking you to do that? So where is it that you want to determine beforehand of what what is right before God before the moment reaches, comes to expression? Because if you don't do this here, pre-decide here, the heat of the moment can often overwhelm. And if Daniel did not do this, would we even be talking about Daniel this morning? We wouldn't. 
And so we want to determine beforehand what's the right thing to do before God here. And so that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel did as they had made up their minds here. And so they decided, Lord, we're, we're going to follow your purpose here. Now, the Babylonians, think of this, they could change everything. They changed their diet. They changed their names from awesome, God-honoring names to awful Babylonian uh, idol names. Changed their, educa- their education three years, the University of Babylon. Uh, and so they're changing everything about them, but they could not change their heart. So because their hearts belong to God. So when your heart truly belongs to God, you, like them, can really go anywhere, and you will be okay. But the question is then, where is your heart? Like, you can be a churchgoer, and your heart really not be given over to God, or it can be. So part of Daniel's training then at the University of Babylon is that he got a meal ticket then to the king's cafeteria. All you can eat, all the king's delicacies there. And so the king then would have the highest level of food, the highest level of food service, the highest level advisors would meet there every day. So Daniel then did what they did, and he got uh, to stand in the same buffet line, all you can eat buffet line there. So while he's there in the king's court, Daniel says to himself, no, this is not for me. And, and And he has this defining moment here which is hugely important because it teaches us this, another insight here, is that what is on the outside of you can't corrupt you. See, it's how sin happens from the, from the heart here. So uh, you can change the culture all around you, but if you're, that doesn't change your character, you can stand. See, they changed their names, but they couldn't change their nature. So though they lived in Babylon, Babylon never lived in them, and therefore they could take a stand. And so you think about, was this like kind of a food thing? You know, are they foodies? And uh, well, it's kind of, there's there's many, there's multiple layers to this. And uh, I don't want to bore you with all the details of that, but just a few things. One, it was not kosher. Uh, The meat was not kosher, violated their conscience. So that is a very important point that do you do things I mean, it would have been really, think about it, it would have been really easy to, like, be lame about the whole thing. Like, I think sometimes we don't always want to, like, make it obvious that we're Christ followers. So we kind of find ways to sort of go along or whatever, and, uh, and, uh, but we need to see here that he had spiritual reasons, and he didn't fake it. He didn't pretend like, oh, you know what, uh, I, I can't eat the food, you know, uh, I, I have to have a gluten-free diet. You know, I don't have a gluten-free diet. It's just not, not going to work for me. You know, I get my stomach, you know, going to get upset and all that. And, oh, you know what else? Like, I can only have organic food. Or I'm on the, I'm on the Daniel diet. I can only eat Ezekiel bread. Uh, I'm on the Daniel fast. You hear about all this. You know what diet I'm on? I'm on the seafood diet. I see the food, and I just eat it. You know, it's like, is anybody with me here? You know what I'm talking about? I think we deserved a little bigger... Shout out to that because there's a lot of good stuff out there. Anyway, but the idea is here is that he's not going to spiritually then, he is not going to defile himself. It's not just the meat, that, but spiritually because all of the, in that culture, what they would do is they would think, hey, let's do a two for one. And before we slaughter the cow, let's, let's uh, devote the cow, dedicate the cow to one of our idols. So then that meat had been 
dedicated to an idol, and then it showed up at the king's buffet table. Daniel's like, you know what? I can't go there. I'm not going to do that. Spiritually, I'm going to be defiled, which in Hebrew means to be polluted. Now, this is going to pollute my soul, my heart, and I can't have anything to do with this. So additionally, Daniel realized this. Daniel realized that his relationship with God touched every area of his life. No compartmentalizing, no segmenting, but really that's how life should be, is that our Christian life then impacts every square inch of our lives here, and in his case, including what he ate that was offered to idols. Now, isn't it interesting that at the very root of human sin then goes back to something that somebody ate? And here it is with Daniel, who said, "Eh, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. So when Daniel looked at the food uh, that culturally had been sacrificed to idols, uh, when the cow was slaughtered or whatever here, and they're honoring their their Babylonian gods with that meat, he said, you know, I'm not going to defile myself and eat that. And so uh, this is a decision, and that's, again, why it's such a defining moment, because it's a moment, defining moment, not to compromise. A defining moment to take a stand. So I want to talk about the three rewards of taking a stand. Number one is this, seen in verse 9. It's God's favor. Read with me, if you will, verse 9. says this. Now God had caused the official, Ashpenaz, to show favor then and compassion to Daniel. So the first reward then that Daniel experiences here is the favor of God. The favor of God so great in his life that Aspenes, at the risk of losing his life, losing his head, lets Daniel talk him into this 10-day uh, experience of vegetarian diet. But notice this, notice this, before the favor, look at this, look at, look at uh, go back. Um, okay, yeah, no, I'm sorry, that's good right there. That's good right there, I want to see the verse. It says, now God. So see, it doesn't say now, now he lived however he wanted, did whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, but now God. So now God precedes his being favored by God. And so uh, Daniel stood his ground, then suddenly now God enters the picture. So God caused Aspenaz to look with favor at Daniel and his three friends. And so, uh, but when then does God honor, choose to honor Daniel and his three companions there only after they had made this stand, not to defile themselves, to purpose in their heart, not to compromise, to take a stand here. So after that, then they experienced the favor of God. Verse 10, but he responded, I'm afraid of, of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin uh, compared to the other use your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. That's what, I mean, how many people know it's kind of intense right there when a guy's talking about having his head taken off, his body. I mean, anytime you're talking about missing body parts, it's kind of intense, right? And so that's what's at stake here. So, but there's such favor that Daniel has that he acquiesces here. And Daniel basically says to him, hey, listen, uh, I, can't, I can't go there. I can't do that. He says, look, you can let all the other guys 
you know, do the pulled pork barbecue and the whole deal there and the potatoes and bacon and all that stuff. But, but I can't go there because this is violating, this is against my conscience here. So Daniel says, come on. It's like 10 days, just 10 days. That's all I'm asking for. 10 days then, give me vegetables and water. And there were some other little things in there besides that. But Daniel says, why don't you give me the vegetables and water let the other guys, you know, uh, eat the blizzards and the T-bone steaks and all that jazz there. And let's come back and look at who's going to be more ripped, who's going to be more healthy. And, uh, and so he's like, yeah, let's see who's going to be more ripped. And so then they, they, the king said, uh, Aspinus said, okay, I, I'm going to do it. But he's like, really, I feel like you got to be kidding me here. The king is giving you all this wonderful food, and you don't want to eat all this wonderful food. And uh, and and Daniel's like, you know what, king, just trust me. We're going to be ripped. We're going to be ready. You know, we're going to be smart. We're going to be savvy. And, uh, and the, king is going to, the king is going to be for us. And so he says, okay, verse, verse 11. And Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. And so Daniel's saying, hey, just... Let us do the vegetarian thing, uh, kind of the rabbit diet. Uh, so, so we're fine with the king's broccoli. We're just not fine with the king's beef. So just do vegetarian there. So he takes a stand. I watch what happens here. Yes, he's got the king's favor, but now they've got better health. Look at verse 15. Very simple here. It says, at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and were better nourished. Then the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So there's more, I think, than we just, we just read it, a kind of superficial uh, glancing of the passage, that, that, that verse there. Because God has blessed them with better health. But there's something at play here. It's like you can't, like, if you did a test like this today, and you just did 10 days, and you had a, a, a plurality of food that's, the best food on the planet there that you can eat. Um, and they're not going to be like, you know, hardcore carnivores, whatever. They're going to be eating all the stuff there, of which there were vegetables too. And then you're going to look at a couple of vegetarians. Um, there's something at play there. There's some biological, histological mechanism at play there where there's more, it's more than just as on the surface, that God is actually blessing them there. Verse 16, watch, I'm going to keep unpacking this. So after that, the intendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. And so you got the rabbit diet, and then you got the T-bone steak at the king's table crowd there. And after the 10-day diet experience here, experiment, uh, after looking at the two groups there, he comes to the conclusion that um, Daniel uh, on the rabbit food diet is better than the pulled pork T-bone steak diet here, and he takes a stand and has better health. And so the four guys there, uh, it says then, verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual, watch, watch. Again, God gave. It's not their knowledge. It's not their intellectual aptitude. It's not that they were the best students on the planet. Maybe they were those things also, but we can't miss there that it is God who gave. That God, it's not just their book knowledge here. There's something supernatural. God gave them. God uh, blessed them supernaturally. God uh, gave. God enhanced 
their capacity, maybe their existing capacity, maybe their existing intellectual capacity, but God gave them and capacitated them supernaturally with unusual aptitude for understanding uh, literature and wisdom. And so uh, that guaranteed then that they would stand out above all the Jewish contemporaries against whom they were being compared there. So the cream then is rising to the to the top, but also the Spirit of God has something to do with that. And so they gave themselves to God. Watch. They gave themselves to God in remarkable ways, in remarkable and unique ways, and God also blessed them in remarkable and unique ways. God gave. So you give yourself to God. Here's what I know. Any way you want to cut it, here's what I know. You give yourself to God, and you will be better off than you would otherwise. Tell me what it is. Tell me what you want to do. You just give yourself to God, and you will be better off. So verse 18 then skips to the end of the three years of education. It says, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. So now they're going to graduate from kind of their graduate school there. Daniel now is about 20 years old. At the time, he's going to have this personal interview with the most powerful reigning monarch on the planet. Kind of a little bit intimidating there, it would seem like. So Daniel then and his three buddies there are going to be grilled after being under the tutelage of the Babylonian Empire for three years. So now he has God's favor upon his life here. So Nebuchadnezzar then is going to personally examine all of the young men himself. This is the ultimate oral exam here. So the result really is astounding because the king found them to be 10 times smarter. Actually, in the Hebrew language, it means this. It means that if you took any one of the four, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, just take one of them, and you just isolated one of them, and then you compared them to all the other test subjects, and you took 10 of them, now you have a pool of the 10, and you took the composite answers, wisdom, intellectual uh, ability against the one, Mishael, Mishael blows all of that 10 away. That's what it means when it says 10 times. One of them was better than the 10. So again, that's because God gave, God blessed, God supernaturally capacitated them. And so, uh, and then they immediately entered into the king's service. Look what it says in verse 19. The king talked with them, and no, uh, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the royal service. The king says, Ho! Like, you aced the test. There's no one like you. You are like at the top of the top of the class. They graduated at the top of their class. And so that, that enabled them to stand out in excellence above everyone else. And so verse 20 says, And whenever the king consulted them, this is afterwards, in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times better, more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. So not only when he was comparing them against the graduates, he says, man, who else can I compare these guys against? Let me get my magic dudes, enchanters, you know, they're divination type people. Let me, let me get all them that then uh, have um, capacity from darkness. And he says, 
Compared to them, they're 10 times better. So in other words, God gave wisdom, God gave insight, God gave understanding, and they were being enlightened then by the Almighty. As they had insight from God. And I want to say this, like you read that and go, oh, that's okay. that was nice. Okay, let me tell what has to do with you. What has to do with you is that you also need wisdom, and you also need insight from above. James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, the implication, you do. Like you lack wisdom, so you need wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who will give to all men liberally and will not withhold it. And so Daniel understood in his day, and I hope that Daniel understood that in his day, that he needed insight and wisdom. And I hope that we understand it in our day. So let me say this. I believe that as a Christ follower, you have the Spirit of God within you who can then give you insight, and you sometimes have to ask God for wisdom, for situations, for people, for relationships. Should I date this person, marry that person? Should I go down this road? Should I pursue that, uh, uh, that, div- that area there of my life there? Uh, and so you need wisdom to sort out life, um, and you can have knowledge, but watch. Knowledge without insight and knowledge without wisdom is just information. And that isn't always going to help you. And so we're inundated with information. So what I'm saying to you is information is not enough. You need insight in how to use that information. You need wisdom in knowing how to apply that. And if you think to yourself, I'm just going to make some stuff up here. If you think to yourself you're in a relationship and I just need to get a relationship book and figure out the whole dating thing, or I, I'm married and, I, and I, I need some help with my marriage. And so maybe the wife is thinking that the husband needs help with the marriage. I'm just, just saying here, gets the Christian marriage book and puts it right down there by the TV clicker, you know, and he's watching the game, you know, and looks over at the clicker, looks over uh, at the book there and is watching the game and takes his drink and puts it right on the book and uses it you know what I'm talking about? Uses it for, uh, uh, for a coaster there. And so he's not going to read it. And even if he does read the book and you're like, you know, just hope he reads the book. The book may not do him any good. If he doesn't like see, like if God doesn't give him insight into his own life that, dude, that's you that page 47 is talking about. And you need wisdom on how to apply that. So anyway, so information is really just not enough is the point. And that is what they had there. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians verse 30 and 31 there, that you're in Christ who became for us wisdom. So God gave wisdom from above uh, and the need to be guided and, and governed by his wisdom and insight came to expression with them and needs to come to expression with us. Finally, verse 21. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So you read that and you're like, okay, let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. No, there's, there's a message for us here. And so the last sentence simply tells us that Daniel had a long, illustrious, and prolific career working in the king's palace under four kings. King Cyrus here is the last king. So he started with Nebuchadnezzar and had the Medes and Persians and then Cyrus here. So now he's being employed there, serving there uh, among the reigning monarchs of the world and served under four kings there. 
and God uses them to be influential in the palace for about 70 years. You see why verse 8 was so important? He purposed in his heart. Now we go to the end of the, end of the, 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 uh, the chapter, and we see 70 years later, what he did in that verse is coming to expression right here. The defining moment in his life comes to expression. And so Daniel continued then. He started in 606 BC, and this is 536 BC. So all the way, 70 years later, Daniel has influenced four kings. I mean, that's longevity. So taking a stand rewarded him with God's favor, great health, and a lifetime of influence, a lifetime of blessing, a lifetime of reward of, of, of his, his employment there. So let me give you some closing thoughts here because when they said uh, to Daniel, you have to eat the king's food at the king's table. And he said, hey, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And he didn't do that. Make no mistake about it. By standing his ground, he was risking everything over an issue that made no sense to no one besides his three buddies. And Daniel saw through the food to the bigger issues underneath, uh, and he knew that for him to eat the food at the table was an act, a public act of disloyalty to the Almighty, to Yahweh, to God. And so he knew that was a line that he couldn't cross there. And yet for many people, it seems small, about as small as it could have been. But the outcome then of Daniel's act of courage there was huge. It changed his whole life. So in the end, what I'm saying is, what seems like it's small isn't necessarily always small. So to you here this morning and those watching online, I just want to tell you, like, in Jesus' name, like, there's no small areas of your life. See, because one thing, it always leads somewhere. So if our God is our God and the Lord is our Lord, then really every square inch of your life really belongs to him and should be yielded to him. That is to say no to sin and to say yes to Christ. That is to say, to no to going along with the crowd in Babylon and saying yes to Christ alone. To saying no to sexual compromise and yes to waiting until marriage. And to be unequivocally unashamed to do that. I did that and I was never ashamed. So you don't have to decide for everyone else, but you have to decide for you. You have to decide for you. And I told you in the beginning uh, how crucial it was about uh, this event of Daniel's life. Think about it. It may not have seemed important at the time, but his decision not to eat the king's food shaped the next 60, 70 years of his life. And not only that, 2,500 years later, we're talking about him precisely because of that small, behind-the-scenes, seemingly insignificant decision. So if, it doesn't make, if he doesn't make the right choice, the rest of the book never gets written because Daniel wrote the book. If he doesn't make the right choice, he becomes a forgotten Jew in Babylon and looked and acted just like everyone else. He's forgotten. You see how important that moment was? The defining moment? So, um, and I know here, um, I know that in terms of scientific progress and all that, that the world has changed since Daniel's day. But God has not changed. 
And the word has not changed. And the world still tries to seduce us and mold us and shape us into its Babylonian image. And the good news in Daniel chapter 1 is that it's possible to live for God like they did in high school. God couldn't put it there if you couldn't live for God in high school, or you couldn't live for God in college, or you couldn't live for God as a young adult here, and thrive in a, in a, in a culture of absolute chaos and craziness uh, like we live in today. So here is my final thoughts to you, that inner conviction, like Daniel had, can always overcome any outward pressure. Inner conviction always overcomes outward pressure. So I dare you, and everyone watching online, I dare you to take a stand. And so uh, this is the word of the Lord, and I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to come up. Father, thank you for your word, which forever stands as a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. And Father, more than anything, thank you for the blessed rescuer uh, that never compromised, who took a stand against darkness, Jesus, who passed the test every time, who never defiled himself, fully capable now to be our rescuer, our savior, our deliverer, our redeemer. Uh, we say thank you, Jesus for what you did on the cross. And Jesus, we pray that you would work in us and stir within us a purposing of our heart, like Daniel, not to defile ourselves, so that in whatever place we find ourselves, uh, we're challenged to stand for you. And where we're indecisive about where we stand in the king's cafeteria, that you would speak to us and we would get clarity and there would be no compromising spirit uh, within us, but have the spirit of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray you do in our lives as you did in these four young men's lives. And we would walk with you and trust you and live for you in the midst of a world constantly trying to squeeze us into its mold. We pray, Lord, that when you look at our lives, you would be pleased. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.